This is Eric Lutie, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. So there's a few things that I need to explain. Uh, For those of you that are live, you sort of have at least mentally, visually wrapped your mind around the fact that everything looks a little different. And the reason for that is because we have uh, Arise uh, Collective Theater in town, and they're going to be putting on their production, which is quite extraordinary, called Pilgrim, and it's a musical. And so I don't know exactly where I'm standing compared to where I usually do, but it feels like it's quite a bit forward. So I feel like I'm about eight feet forward. So it's like sort of strange. I'm just sort of hanging out in the midst of the audience here. Uh, but uh, I'm enjoying it, and I enjoy change. I enjoy variety. So, hey, we got it today. And for those of you that are visually participating in this, like you're watching a video on it later, uh, the background is totally different. Like we have this huge screen across the back. And so because it's going to be really hard, I don't have my normal setup. Like if you've ever watched Eric speak, I always turn to my left, never to my right, always to my left. And I consult my screen with my keynote on it. I have a clicker in hand and now I don't know what to do because I have these hands that don't have a clicker, right? Uh, so we'll see what happens with those uh, hands today. Uh, and so I have my computer in front of me, uh, as opposed to, you know, we've sort of been problem solving this like literally seconds before we started today, trying to figure all these things out. Now, even another layer of information for you, I know it's sort of like information overload uh, this morning before we get started, is this is also the first message. I know it's a Sunday sermon, but it's also the first message in my upcoming uh, spring series for Daily Thunder. So I'm kicking off a series on a Sunday morning, special edition. You know, anytime you do a special edition, it's extra special, right? So special background, special no clicker situation, special no turn to the left. I got all sorts of special things happening. Uh, and so uh, the, the entire series is called Becoming Brave. And where this came from, it actually uh, was sponsored a couple weeks ago when I uh, was speaking for a father-son gathering that we, we hold here on Sunday nights. And the topic was uh, current events. And, you know, Eric, could you speak on current events? Well, I don't really enjoy speaking on current events. I don't know how many of you enjoy speaking on current events. I'd rather just delete current events. I mean, are there any current events that are even worthy of thinking about? You know, there's nothing positive anymore. Everything is negative. There's just a big bad mood just waiting to overtake your soul. And one of the things that I've seen, and one of the reasons I I was probably even asked to do this, is because it's a perspective thing. The Christian has the opportunity to look at everything through a different lens than the rest of the world. The problem is most of us have never been trained in that switch, in that flip of perspective. So we have a tendency to cower in the midst of a decaying world instead of rising above it and smirking, smiling, saying, this is the hour. This is what we've been prepared for. This is the stage in which the great harvest comes forth. You see, when souls become unstable or destabilized, it actually opens them up to hunger, to thirst, to crave for something solid. And guess who is ready to step into such a situation and supply that? 
you can raise your hand if you're a Christian. That's us. You see, we are the ones that are built for the hour of instability. Most of us have been spending all our our time grumbling about the fact that we live in an era of instability instead of recognizing that an era of instability is the era of great gains in the kingdom of heaven. It's a perspective thing. And that's why this series that I'm going to be going through is, I I believe, extremely timely, very important, because it's the tools for how the soul is groomed to, in a sense, snarl at the current events uh, that are trying to uh, dampen our joy, that are trying to curdle our perspective, and we are not going to succumb to that. And so uh, even my entire uh, subtitle, let's see if I can, yeah, here it is. Listen to the subtitle for my series. This is really good, guys. Stunning composure while staring at a world crisis. Isn't that good? Stunning composure. Yeah, that's what we all crave. So part one uh, of the this series is called Tactics for the Brave Soul. And you're going to notice if you've been hanging around at Allersley, if you've been you know following me around at all, I'm going to say a whole bunch of things that you already know, right? Well, welcome to the Church of Jesus Christ. We're saying a whole bunch of things we already know, and why is it that we always need to keep repeating them? Isn't that funny? You see, I don't get up here and teach you two plus two equals four every Sunday, you know, because you'd say, I already know that. And I would agree with you. It is unnecessary to deal out facts every Sunday. But truth is different than just facts and that, that it has this extra layer to it. It's a living thing. And if you do not repeat it, it loses its luster in your life. It is the constant remembrance of it and practice and exercise of it that makes it function in our life. Two plus two can function in your life whether you use it or not. It's just there. It just hangs out in the data bank. But truth has to be constantly enlivened and stirred up and recalled and then embraced and then exercised afresh. And that is precisely what we need to do. So it really doesn't bother me if you're like, heard it, heard that before. So I praise God you've heard this before. Hopefully you've used it before too. However, it, this is all the more a time for us to exercise it and use it. All right? Tactics for the brave soul. It's sort of fun having my computer up here. It gives me a, a little feeling of more control than way back there, right? And I don't need to turn to my left. I can like turn to my right for the first time. This is fun. The first rule of crisis. All right, so if you enter a crisis... Something begins to fall apart in your life. Trauma is beginning, whether it's bombs dropping, bank accounts emptying. I don't know what it could be, but there's this huge sliding scale of possibilities. But when you enter a crisis, it's very, very important that you don't follow the emotion of the crisis. Because crisis does have an emotion, and it wants to lead you somewhere. And it usually is going to lead you into territory that God says in his word, don't go there. No, no, don't go there. In fact, you'll notice in Scripture when crisis is brought up in the New Testament, almost always the statement is rejoice right next to it. It's like, well, that doesn't match. You know, crisis and rejoicing, that doesn't even fit. Those two are uh, two completely different puzzles, right? When in actuality, when you stick them together, you recognize something and that God does actually know what he's talking about. Okay, so the first rule of crisis, remember It's not about saving you. Because isn't that funny? This is number one thing the devil wants to bait you towards is self-preservation. You, 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 you. But what about you? But what about you? This is when the lines start forming at the gas station. 
What about you? I mean, if everyone else is getting gas, they may, they may run, run out of it. It's like the toilet paper crisis. It's, oh, I need toilet paper. And these are the, the bait that we all have is to think about our own self-preservation. When toilet paper is running out, not many of us are thinking about how we can start donating ours. And yet the Christian life immediately turns towards something different than the world. So the first rule of crisis, remember, it's not about saving you. It's about something much bigger than you. You have been set in this trial, in this circumstance, in this trauma for a reason. And when you respond to the trauma the way God intended you to, you actually can have an amazing impact on the world around you that seems to be falling apart. So the principle of everything. Hmm. Uh, so the word in the Hebrew is kol. Uh, so if you're named Cole, I'm going to give a definition of what your name means. Everything. All of it. The entirety of something. The whole kit and caboodle. That wasn't in the Hebrew definition, uh, but I added that in. It's the whole thing. That's Cole. Isn't that sort of an interesting thing? Now think of what word Cole sounds like. Whole. Whole thing. Isn't that interesting? So my, my guess is, etymologically, that's where it comes from, right? But it really works well, because... We have a mindset, and I'm just going to you know, just sort of get it out on the table. We have what, what I could call a tithe mindset. You see, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, so I have a tithe mindset, which is better than having a zero mindset, right? A tithe means a tenth. That's actually what it means by definition. And so I am, as a believer, willing to dedicate a tithe of my life to God. And yet what you're going to see in the New Testament is God is going to go from tithe to coal. Everything is going to shift. He's going to say, I just bought the whole kit and caboodle with my blood. The whole thing. It all belongs to me. You are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. All right. Now, this is a mindset that actually is really important for us. Because as I first say it, there's this part of you that's scrapping for control. It's like, oh, the whole thing? Wait, he can't just take the whole thing. And yet, a successful, happy, joy-filled Loving Christian life is based on this premise. When you try and hold on to your own skin, your own things, your own uh, pleasures, it's amazing, but it curdles your soul and it messes with what God intends to do in your life. But when you relinquish it, when you relinquish not just the tithe, but the coal, it actually transforms your life and prepares you. Now, I'm just laying some foundation stones in place because we're talking about you know becoming brave here. And if you are holding on to your life, you're going to find that when trauma hits, you are extra susceptible to making it about you. However, when you've forsaken you, it's a little easier to keep forsaking you in a time of crisis. So the tithe versus the coal, 10% versus 100%. So here's a quote. You can quote me on this. You can stick it on your refrigerator. In the new covenant, God's not asking for merely a tenth of your life. He's asking for the coal thing. Isn't that nice? That was good. That was good. I don't know if all of you appreciate Eric Humor, but the principle of first fruits. So I'm going to build a few principles here. Principle of everything. The principle of first fruits. The habit of the first move being a heavenward move. You know, there's a lot of different situations where you have a first movement. Now, one of the ways that I'm going to describe it today is the first moments in your life, your wake-up routine. Eric loves to talk about wake-up routines, right? But you also have the first day of a new season. 
uh, where you're entering and you arrive at a new place. Like some of the Arise Collective Theater group are arriving here. This is a new little season. So actually your first movements forward become very important. They're first fruits. We have first fruits in every week, every month, every season, every year. We have an opportunity to bring that new season right in front of God and say, this belongs to you. And so first fruits in our life are very, very significant. And so I have, in a sense, a first fruits offering the moment I wake up. It's my first moments of being alert and awake to a new day. And how I handle those first moments are very, very important for how they color and impact the rest of my day. But I also have a first fruits when I leave, you know, my bathroom zone of my life after I've, you know, a few things in there and now I'm ready to walk into the next season of my life. How I initiate that next movement is again a first movement, a first fruits. And how I handle my technology, how I handle my time, all of those things, whether it's the pantry and how I handle what I'm ingesting, all these things have impact on the rest of my day. And so as a result, I want you to sort of grab this idea of first fruits, not just the coal, the everything, but the first fruits. Exodus 23, 19, you shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. So this is a premise point in the way that God's kingdom pattern works. So his people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, were being trained in this idea. And so what you see in a national uh, mode in the Old Testament is being brought to a very personal mode for us. And so we are recognizing that there is a first movement in everything we do. And what are we doing with it? Are we stealing it for ourselves saying, this is about me? The first thing I want to think about is how rotten I feel when I wake up and how grumbly I I want to to make my life. It's like, oh, this is miserable. I have to enter this day. Oh, that's a first fruits attitude. And it's all about you. It's how about how you feel. It's sort of like the microphones in front of you. How do you feel right now as you're, as you're waking up and getting out of bed? Well, I don't feel so good. Well, you know what? It's not about you. It's about something much bigger than you. And so when you recognize that, then it impacts the way you approach the first movements in everything in your life. All right, you guys ready for another principle? The principle of the fatted calf. So these are all things. Now I'm going to combine all these into one thing, and it's going to actually make up sort of a recipe for, like it's tactics for the brave soul. It's a recipe for bravery, the basis of it. So the principle of the fatted calf This is the habit of splurging your best because God splurged his best. You see, in every situation, you have a best. You know, Martin Luther used to say that uh, he spent the best hours of his day in prayer. And if you were to think about what the best hours of your day are, it's sort of an interesting thought, but there are certain hours that are more more valuable in your flows, in your communication with others, and how you make money than other hours. You know, like the hours between 1 and 3 a.m., you know, as far as economically are not usually as valuable, right, as 1 to 3 in the afternoon. It's like, whoa, those are big hours. And so Martin Luther, I'm not sure which hours he chose, someone in here may know, but it was somewhere in the middle of the day that he took a whole chunk of his day and just dedicated in prayer to God because he took his very best. He took his fatted calf in the day and he gave it to God. Now, some of us are a little uncomfortable with this, like, whoa, you know, I don't know how life can actually work if you give your fatted calf of every day to God. 
And I'd say that's probably because most of us probably have never tried it. So we don't recognize the supernatural impact that takes place when we take the best out of our life and give it to God every day. So just like there's a first fruits in every day, there's also the sort of the fatted calf in every day where we are making choices for something higher than something lower. Instead of for us and what would make us feel good or what would taste good to us, we're willing to give it up so that God is seen. Now, these are all principles for what change our life, what actually causes us to turn outward from being self-focused in a time of trauma, in a time of crisis, in a time when the world seems to be falling to pieces. What do we have a tendency to think about? Our own bank account and how this is going to affect us, our own health. I mean, there's a pandemic in the world. I mean, hey, get your mask on as quickly as possible. And, you know, hey, world crises could change all events. My comfort, my, my kids, you know, how, what world they're growing up in. All of these things are reflections from the inner man, and I get them. Believe me, they go through my head too. The question is, how does a Christian appropriate them? What if we were chosen for a very challenging season in Earth's history? What if our assignment is to be alive in one of the hardest moments when souls are being rocked and awakened to the gospel, and we were called to be the carrier of it? Would we say yes to the commissioner? We'd, we'd say, oh, you know, I, I'd rather live in sort of a, a really nice uh, beaver cleaver neighborhood, you know, back in the 50s. Could I have that if I'm going to choose when I want to be alive? Or would you choose the assignment God has built you for? God knows what he designed you for. You're made on purpose for a very specific commission. He's not caught off guard by it. I think we are because we have a tendency to get a little Americanized in the process. Like, well, God, I want, I want you and I want to be available to you, but on my terms. Whoa, what was that? Well, you had a little caveat to the end. On your terms? Wait a minute, where, where did that come from? I'm looking in the Bible. I'm not seeing that on your terms. I still can't find it, but I am finding the word coal. In other words, God has an agenda for you, but do you accept his mind over yours? Do you accept what he defines as pleasure over what you do? Luke 15, 23, this is the, uh, the story of the, uh, the runaway son, you know, and the father that is waiting, typically known as the prodigal son story. And then the father, when he receives his son, says, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. How does God give to us. He gives his fatted calf. God gives his best to us. So how much more so in reflection, in response, in worship, should we give the best we have to him? We all know, the, we all know that it's the right thing. Isn't it interesting that we have a human argument with it? We have no case on our side. I mean, we have the weakest argument imaginable. It's like, but God, but God, I mean, I'm just wanting to think this through for a second but does he not deserve it? Does he not deserve the best of your life? Does he not deserve the coal thing? Does he not deserve the first fruits of every movement, the fatted calf? Of course he does. And yet why do we argue? You see, a strong Christian life finally just accepts the fact that God is right in these points instead of arguing. Instead of coming up with a thousand excuses, you're right, God. I want to honor you by giving you what you deserve. The foundation of a day. The foundation ought to be rock, not sand. And so when you start anything, you're in a sense establishing a first, a first movement, 
but what we would typically call a foundation if you're building a house. When you're starting a house, you're going to build a foundation. Poor foundation, poor house. Strong foundation, strong house. Luke 6, 48. So this is in the context of whoever comes, hears, and does is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. All right, so becoming brave. Uh, that's sort of it right there, isn't it? You see, when we think about winds and waves beating against something, I'm not sure what we envision, but could it be wars and rumors of wars? Could it be pandemics? Could it be financial uh, collapse of the economy that we just happen to have all our money in? Could it be? Winds and rains, when they beat against our house, if we are founded upon rock, if our foundation is sure, guess what? We will not fall. We will stand in that day. So as far as I'm concerned, I want a little of that in my life, right? Or a lot of that. The foundation hour. So this is what I've begun to call it in my own soul. And there's nothing, when I start to go from the Word of God to Eric's application, just note the difference. Eric's application is Eric's application. I'm not saying it needs to be your application. Your application can be defined by the, the Spirit of God inside of you. However, sometimes it helps just to talk it through and to show application possibilities, right? So for me, I recognize that that very first segment of my life, the first fruit segment, the foundation segment of my life is under high levels of attack, okay, in various ways, okay? Waking up, I, I've, I've had so many iterations to my wake-up routine over the years. My wake-up routine, and it's weird, I, this is going to sound strange, but I just was in an interview. Now it's no longer like radio interviews, now it's podcast interviews. Uh, back when I was, you know, when we used to, you know, do our books and our book tours and do our publicity things, it was always, you know, TV and radio. Now, podcast interview. So I did a podcast interview the other day. And one of the questions, this is one of the most unique questions I've ever heard. Something like, do you have a wake-up routine? I forgot how it was actually asked. Uh, and I was thinking, what? do I have a wake-up routine? Oh, let me talk about it. To me, I have spent so much time thinking about the first movements in my mind, in my soul, in my body, and how that affects the rest of my day. And so the guy standing up in front of you has spent an undue amount of time. It's sort of like PhD level uh, inspection of this area because I recognize one of the great secrets of my life or one of the great failures of my life would all hinge upon how I get up out of bed in the morning. Ironically, how you get out of bed has a lot to do with how you go to bed. And so actually you could follow this around in a circle over and over again, because if you go to bed poorly, you oftentimes will wake up poorly. If you go to bed sloppily, I know that's a funny uh, adverb to throw in there, then oftentimes you're going to wake up sloppily. Uh, maybe I should say sloppy. Uh, but because how you go to bed defines your expectation for what you do in the morning. For instance, when I'm going to bed, I already have a plan for my morning. And what is it centered around? priority. What is my day about tomorrow? Why am I even getting sleep to be strong for whatever that is? What is it? Well, so I'm going to define a starting point, a point of beginning in my day. It's usually called your alarm, right? 
And uh, I'm not a big fan of alarms any more than you are, so I try and train my body to wake up before the alarm. And now I have a haptic, you know, sound on, you know, which is like on my on my wrist, which, to be honest, is a great invention. It is a lot more pleasant than dee dee, dee dee, dee dee, you know, trying to turn that crazy thing off. However, those first movements of my life are defining to the rest of my day. If I am sluggish and self-focused in that first moment, it's amazing, but it colors my day. And if I have chosen to serve myself instead of what I predefined as what the priorities were of my day, it's amazing, but my other priorities begin to fall to pieces too. And I will end up elevating priorities in my day that are more self-based instead of Christ-based. Okay? It's just a principle. So what I call it is the foundation hour, which again, this is Eric terminology, right? And an hour is not some magic time period. However, I want my first hour to be consecrated and set apart. I want it to be a first fruits. So I want to, in a sense, know that the way I'm starting out, because I have an instinct, as do some of you, that when I, I wake up, and maybe I wake up great, and then I walk out into the living room, which is where my computer setup is, is my laptop just sort of sitting there, my phone is out there. See, I don't keep my phone by my bed very purposely. And so, but it's out there, and it's waiting for me. And it has things to tell me. It has information to lend me for the day, perspective that it wants to give me. And it's weird, the magnetic pull that those devices can have. So what do I have to do? I have to deliberately remember my priority. The same way I have to remember my priority when I wake up, I have to remember my priority when I move to the next phase. And I want to lay a foundation that is going to make me sturdy for the rest of the day, which means I'm not going towards my impulse or I'm going towards what I crave, but I'm going to what matters more than me. This life is not about me. I have been put here for something much bigger than me. So the foundation hour, I'm going to say combining first fruits fatted calf, and a foundation of rock. It's basically taking all of those principles and saying, all right, I want to preserve this. This is my first fruits of my day. I want them to be given correctly. This is also my, my favorite time. This is when I'm the sharpest. Ironically, I know some of you are like, in the morning? This is my time of the day. I'm a morning guy, right? So my best time of the day is like right now. And so I'm at, you know, when I start to get into that mode, I am ready to produce. And I am a guy who produces a lot. So I want to get to a book that I was writing. I want to get to a message that I've been thinking through. I want to get to those things. So it's a deliberate restraint to say, here's my fatted calf. All right, Lord, it belongs to you. So all of these things combined, again, this is an Eric application not the application you need. I'm trying to give you that starter package for your own soul to recognize that these things are the basis of a perspective that is triumphant in a crumbling world. If you start by thinking about yourself, then when you hear about the crisis, what do you default to? Yourself. How that is going to impact you. What is the next thing? That one, you know, it's like the, the seepage of anxiety into the soul. You ever felt that? Where you literally feel it like bleeding into your soul, the fretting, the foreboding. What if? What about? What if this happened? Oh, no, what about me? 
All of that you are supposed to be immune to. As a believer, you are supposed to have an armor that doesn't allow that to seep in. So how did it get in? If you're not waking up and putting on the armor as a very purposeful step, then guess what? To spend a couple hours of your morning without armor on, going to your devices and saying, hey, enemy, what do you have to say about my life? What is my world in your perspective? Well, guess what? You're going to have an attack on your soul, and it is going to undermine the foundation of your perspective for the entire day. Have you ever had one of those clouds where you're just like, okay, God, I know you're in control. I know you're seated on, in your throne. I know all things are under your feet. I just don't feel it right now. And you have to climb out of that dungeon of despair, that dungeon of depression and oppression. And what I would say is I would prefer to say, don't go in it in the first place. And so the tactic that I'm giving you for a brave soul is don't spend your entire day trying to climb out of bad perspective. Start with good perspective, and then the enemy can hit you with its winds and waves, and you will not collapse. All right, the foundation hour. There's three pieces to it. Greeting the foggy emotions and hazy mindsets of the day. You ever notice that when you first wake up, your brain isn't quite functioning as it ought? And that's very, very important for you to notate. You have to begin to train it into proper thinking because you're oftentimes exiting a hazy zone, a dream that you came right out of, you know, that was a little disturbing or whatever. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And you have to literally grab those thoughts and train them and steer them. Number two, greeting the practicals of the day. You have so many different aspects to your day. Health-wise, you have your information side, your communication side, you have different areas that you awaken every day. It's almost like turning on the switch to it. It's like, bloop, and you turn on your communication, bloop, you turn on your information flows, bloop, you turn on your eating. You have all these different things that you're doing, but do you have a thought before you turn those on? Do you have a priority before you turn those on? Number three, greeting the spiritual battle of the day. Oh yeah, I'm in the midst of hostile territory and the enemy wants to take me out. I better get the armor on. In other words, when you start out this way, instead of respond this way at two in the afternoon and go, ah, yeah, yeah okay, I, I was just played by the enemy for this whole day so far. No wonder I have such a bad attitude. Leslie can pick up a bad attitude in Eric Ludy a mile away. I don't know if you have someone in your life that could say that. It was like, did something happen in your life today? Or did, some, did someone talk to you about it? Did you get a piece of information? Because I, can, I can't hide it, obviously. I just sort of wear it. I'm a cheery guy all the time, and suddenly when I'm a little more somber, it's like, okay, something happened. And it's true. We are easily impacted by the circumstances, by the measurement of our bank accounts, by the news we accidentally hear. We're even trying to fast the news that day, and then someone walking down the street talking to someone, they're going, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, can you believe it? Boy, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. And you're like, oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, no and you are immediately infected by it, which is why there must be armor. But the foundation hour is just the beginning. I mean, so say you start out well, that does not mean you finish well, which is, I wish it, it always translated that way. However, if you're going to finish well, it really helps to start out well, okay? And now, however, many of us, we could have a good routine in the beginning, but we need to maintain. This is the idea of fortification. Could you imagine building a wall around a city? And then, you know, having this really good gate, you know, that it's like, it takes, uh, you know, what, 300 men with a huge log, you know, they have to hit it 500 times to even break through it. I mean, that's a good wall, right? A good gate. 
Well, could you imagine leaving the gate open at two in the afternoon? And the bad guys are like, yeah, we don't need to do, use the log. We don't need 500. So we just need one of us to sneak in because they always leave the gate open at two in the afternoon. Well, that's a dumb idea. Start out the day with the gate closed and the walls, you know, built strong and then open it up halfway through the day. Keeping that, that circle around your walls, around your city is very, very important throughout the day. So introducing the three stages of a brave day. So here's the three stages of a brave day. Winning the wake-up battle. You didn't know that there was a battle over your wake-up routine, did you? There's a reason why Eric has spent a lot of time thinking about my wake-up routine. I actually believe it is literally one of the most important times, if not the most important time of my day. And how I approach it impacts everything. So... Some of us that didn't even think about that before are like, wow, I didn't even know there was a battle. There's a battle, which is very telling to the rest of our life if we're not fighting it. Number two, holding the high ground during the day. And number three, heading into sleepy time like a soldier. When we, I, I use the term sleepy time because it sounds like a little kid statement, and then I added soldier to it just to sort of create that tension of soul. You know, sleepy time is just like what little kids have, Right? Yeah, I want you to approach sleepy time like a soldier. When you go to bed at night, I want you to do it on purpose with a Christ mentality, with an offensive soldier-like attitude. When a soldier in the military is going to bed, they know that they, especially if they're on active duty and there's an enemy right over the hill, they recognize there's going to be bomb blasts. They oftentimes have their weapon literally right next to them. And so few of us go to bed with our weapons right next to us. Do we, so few of us go to bed recognizing that this is part of our life being brave, is how we actually approach our sleep. Isn't that an interesting thought? I'm bringing up all sorts of fun things. So the closed circle. How you start out in the morning affects how you live through the day, which then reaches the evening. And how you go to bed at night actually affects how you wake up in the morning. And then which affects how you live throughout the day, which then affects how you go to bed at night, which then affects how you wake up in the morning. You see, this is a circle. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, when she teaches on fortification, she says, close the circle. And so I think for us, we, in a sense, need to do the same. You may have a great wake-up routine and a great night routine, but your middle of the day stinks. And so what I would say is we want to be consistent in our souls throughout the day. Now, what I just said is the most obvious statement any Christian could ever think, hear, ponder, process, and agree with, of course. However, instead of just accepting it mentally, I want you to agree with your life and say, okay, I agree because I'm not consistent. And I would say the same thing. I, I, I'm probably harder on myself than I don't know, maybe not. Maybe you're harder on yourself than I am on me. But I feel like I'm probably harder on myself than most people are hard on themselves. I don't accept anything in my life because I know what I've been given. I've been given everything I need for life and godliness, and I just really don't accept a little season of selfishness over here, a little season of self-pity. No, ah, that's not allowed, Eric. So for me, I recognize how many breakdown points there are in the day. I could be strong and then distracted. I could be strong and then baited with a discouragement over here. I could be strong and then hear some bad news. What I need to use is my strength in that situation. And so 
How we meditate on the word of God throughout the day, how we approach these things is very, very important. So uh, I've given this, uh, this mathematical equation pr- quite a bit uh, at Ellerslie, and it's, you know, it fits well into this message. The spiritual equation for readiness. GW plus BL equals RFAAE. All right? There it is, guys. Doesn't that help? All right, I'll, I'll explain it. GW, girded waist. BL is burning lamp. So girded waist plus burning lamp equals R-F-A-A-E, ready for anything and everything. The Bible is going to give a picture of those awaiting the bridegroom, and they have two things going for them, a girded waist and a burning lamp. And so how we translate that into our life you know, a, we don't gird our waist anymore uh, into the long dress thing. And then if we're going to go running, we have pants or we have sweats or we have shorts. As guys, we don't think about girding up. However, if we did have a long dress that was draping down on the ground and we were going to try and run, you could imagine the hazards that might be involved in that. And so as a result, to be ready to do that running, there was a whole girding process, which I think I even gave an outline from it in one of my messages and showed this visual of how it worked, or maybe even went through it, which is very awkward. Uh, and But you tie this big knot in front of you, and so you have everything. All of that material is bound up to free you to be agile, to free you to sprint when you need to sprint, to jump when you need to jump. And for us and our souls, that's how we live. We live with girded waist. We live with the light of the Holy Spirit, the light of the Word of God burning in our soul. It never goes out in this temple. It is always lit. And this is part of how we succeed in this life. Luke 12, 35, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, says Jesus. Girt, I have a grandma no longer around, but her name was Gert, spelled G-E-R-T. But still, I you know, reminisce as I see the, the word Gert up on the screen. And it means to make tight and strong by binding, to put on, to clothe, to dress, to habit, to furnish, to equip, to surround, to encircle, to enclose, to encompass, to be made ready for instant, immediate action. How do you want to live throughout your day? How do you wake up well, live well during the day, go to bed well at night, and keep that circle closed? You need to be girt. You need your lamp burning throughout the day. Ephesians 6, 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Gird, girt, girded, that which must be done to ready a man for brave exertion. So I'm going to summarize where we're at so far. I'm calling it our brave summary so far. Giving God the coal thing, that's my play on words. I don't know if you guys appreciate it. There, thank you, Josh, for snickering. Uh, to making our first movements count for heaven. This is the first fruits. Number three, splurging the fatted calf, not the dying cow. It's like, oh God, you're wanting something for my herd? And there's this like dying cow over here. How about you just take this? Now, we chuckle at that because it is sort of funny, but that's sort of what we do. We're given to God. We're sacrificing to God and God could look back and go, thank you for the dying cow. <laughs> But we have a tendency to do that. We, we look at our herd and we're like, what is the least invasive into my life? What, is, what would impact me at the, at the smallest level economically? What would impact me at the smallest level time-wise? And so then we give him the dying cow instead of the fatted calf. And number four, tying up our loose clothing so we are ready to do this thing. 
So let's go back to our three stages of the brave day. You know, we start out that day, we live through the middle of the day, and then we end that day well. Winning the wake-up battle, two, holding the high ground during the day, and three, heading into sleepy time like a soldier. So let's talk about winning the wake-up battle, the foundation hour is what I was calling it earlier. Okay, now I could give illustrations of what I do, which is has value only to the point that the Spirit of God nudges you and says, I want you to try that. However, I'm not wanting to prescribe how you work. I'm a very unique personality, and I know it. And I know that the way I do things should not just be replicated straight across the board. Otherwise, we just, you know, it becomes awkward. Sort of, you know, when Leslie and I were first married, uh, she was wondering when she would hear me speak and she would see crowds respond to me. It's like, am I supposed to speak like Eric? Because I sure don't feel like that would seem normal to me to do. And I said, please don't. Speak like Leslie. Now Leslie is a far more in-demand speaker than I am, and her podcasts are listened to far more than my podcasts. It's like, great, I've created a monster now. She's who she's, so if I had her be like me, then she would have been diminished a little, right? So actually, you just being who you are in how you play these out is the right way to do it. But to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to touch very specific things in your life to say, yep, that's a weak spot, yep. I've, I have been, I have been loose in that area. I've been sloppy in that area. I've been flabby in that area. That's where I want the Spirit of God to touch. So let's talk about the foundation hour, how you are waking up. So greeting the foggy emotions and hazy mindsets of the day. So there are certain things that I have graduated to. I used to wake up and I would ignore my feelings. This is actually a really important step in my life too. I would ignore my feelings and I would say every morning, good morning, Lord. And I would just start moving in the direction of the next step of my day. Just, just get up and, and start moving. So I would agree with my alarm. I would not curse it. I would agree with it. And I would say, thank you for doing what I asked you to do, to prioritize my day. I never push this news button. Again, I'm not trying to create undue uh, conviction here. This is an Eric Ludy thing, okay? If I push this news button, I feel like I'm agreeing with self and I'm disagreeing with my night routine. When I say, this is my priority tomorrow, and I'm going to go after it. So as a result, snooze buttons to me are a disaster area waiting to happen. No is my answer to a snooze button. No, no. I've accidentally pushed a snooze button before, but hey, that's a different story. So how do I want to awaken? I want to awaken spry. That's my term for it. In other words, there's two ways to agree with your alarm clock. One is like, okay, all right, I hear you. I hear you, alarm I hear you, and I agree with you. I agree with you. It's just taking me a little, okay, to, you know, get my body to agree with you. Or the other one is spry. The moment your alarm goes off, you command your body to get up on your feet, okay? Again, I'm not trying to put conviction on you if this isn't how you get up. I'm saying this is important for me. I spring out of bed, and I stand up, and get this next one, uh, Awaken enthusiastic. I choose to be happy first thing. I choose to rejoice as the first emotion of my day. No complaining ever. Always a rejoicing. It's a new day. This is the day the Lord has made. Jesus Christ is on the throne. All things are beneath his feet. I am in Christ. I have the inheritance of the king. I have nothing to complain about. I don't care about what's going on in the Ukraine. In that moment, I am making a choice in my soul to agree with the kingdom pattern, which is full of joy. There is a whole bunch of bad news in this world, and how many of us get PhDs in good news? 
You see, there's good news that we are supposed to hold on to and carry into our day. And most of us are way too susceptible to the bad news ruling our mindset. So then three, awaken heaven-minded, greeting God with a gigantic good morning and repeating the gospel truth and promises. And this is, this is a practice that I've done for a long time. It's very, very important. I added the spry uh, recently where it's just like, all right, I am springing out of bed now. And I even have the fist pump in the air. Okay, now sometimes it's in my soul that I'm like, <laughs> but I will, I have done it as I'm walking, you know, to the bathroom area. I'm like, yeah, it's a new day. And I'm deliberately choosing to awaken my soul in agreement with the reality of the king of heaven. He is victorious. He has triumphed over the grave. And this sleepy head agrees with it. All right. Greeting the practicals of the day. This is all in that first hour. You see, like I said, when you walk out, it, it, for me, it's symbolic of walking out into the living room, okay? Because I see my devices awaiting over there. Now, I don't know where your devices are. Don't you remember the days where there were no devices? I remember a day where there were no cell phones. My dad had one of the first cell phones ever, and it was in his car under his seat in a box. And it was for emergencies because the, you know, the, what it cost to use the crazy thing was not worth it. I don't think he ever used it, right? And that was like a cell phone. So yeah, we had a cell phone, but it wasn't like what we have now. And then you remember those little flip phones? They couldn't do anything other than make a call. And then it was like, oh, you could text on this. And that was like elaborate. But now we have smarter phones than we had then. And as a result, all of this world and this digital construct out there wants to invade our, our lives. And so we are extra susceptible. Now, I'm not trying to criticize devices. They have benefits, and I have them, right? I have a computer, and I have a phone. And so I'm not trying to make some statement, you know, like, could you imagine how convicting this message would be of like, hey, now don't do what I'm doing, but I threw out my computer and my phone, and I've gone completely digital neutral in the world. That'd be, that'd be a hard one to swallow, right? How do you function would be the first thought you all have. However, it might be a good idea. I'm not proposing it, just saying, you know, hey, nothing should be removed from the table. I want to be a Christian right now, and if that's what it takes, so be it. However, these things have a magnetic wooing power, and if you're going to handle that device, you need to have armor on to even handle that device. If you're going to open that computer, you better have your armor on before you do. You better know what your life is about because there are going to be distractions awaiting you there. And so how you handle all of that noise out of those little boxes is very, very important. So this is a practical foundation hour in your life. And so how you approach that first portion of your day, are you going to develop the right habit patterns? What are the priorities in your life? If you're going to study scripture, if you're going to read scripture, if you're going to memorize scripture, if you're going to pray, if you're going to do these things that are the most base foundational relational things in your walk with Christ, when do you do it? Because once you open that cage, if you will, with the wild beast that leaps out, are you ready? So steer the mind towards truth. Choose where to first focus. Number two, steer clear of the bait. Beware the snags of busyness and cultural noise. So I don't know, you know all of us have different lives, different lifestyles, different uh, you know, careers, different ways that we do what we do. For me, I always have unfinished projects. 
and they're oftentimes creative. Like during a training season, I'm creating four messages a week. That's a lot of unfinished projects just sort of waiting there. Unfinished keynotes that haven't been finished, unfinished messages, unfinished things that I've been studying. I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, oh, I need to research that. I need to look into that. What does that word mean? And so when I wake up, I could easily have that. And they could be good things. I mean, I'm looking at a biblical concordance. I mean, how hard, you know, how dangerous could that be? However, I need to remember what my priority is. My priority isn't to finish that message. My priority is to cultivate this relationship that I have with my God. And so all of those things, like I said, my, my world has a lot of truth in it. And I could justify why I need to write this chapter in this book before I do anything else, because it's in my mind right now. These are different baits that I've recognized in my life that throw off my priority. Number three, steer clear, steer every thought through the fill four filter. Center your mind on things above. You guys have read Philippians 4, 8, right? It's a, it's a filter. So we call it the fill four filter. This is how you remember it. The fill four filter. Tom Newman's juggling partner liked going running after videoing a partridge. So Tom, true, things that are true. Newman, things that are noble. Juggling, things that are just. Partner, things that are pure. Liked, things that are lovely. Going running, things that are of good report. After videoing, all virtue. A partridge. Uh, every, uh, always, uh, uh, what is that one? Praiseworthy. Uh, what's the A? Always praiseworthy. No, it's not always praiseworthy. And, and praiseworthy, we'll just call it that. It's something good. That's the four fill filter. Four Philippians four filter. Fill four filter. Boy, I'm having a tough time with that one. Winning the wake up battle. All right, so guys, if you have the fill four filter, and you have your Tom Newman, uh, his juggling partner, uh, liked going running after videoing a partridge down. Then you recognize that most of the things the enemy wants to get you fixated on and focused on has totally nothing to do with what God wants your mind on during a day. Nothing. All this stuff the enemy is saying, it's important that you focus on this. If you don't, bad things could happen to you. And God's saying, don't buy that message. Here's what I want you fixated on. Here's what I want your mind on. You establish that pattern in that foundation hour. So greeting the spiritual battles of the day, winning the wake-up battle. We have the vigorous no, declining the enemy, any satisfaction. We have the more vigorous yes, proclaiming scriptural promise and victory. So there's two things you need to learn how to wield, the no and the yes. In your life, there are going to be so many things that are going to beckon you to think about them, to focus on them, and you need to learn how to deal out the no. It's critical to the Christian life, but there's something that I want to encourage us to cultivate even more than that. When you're saying no to the enemy, I don't want you to have a sort of a passive yes towards God. It's like, God, I'm on your side. Yeah, my answer is yes, of course. But I want us to ponder real quick are we vigorously saying yes to his word? There are certain things in his word that actually lead to a very radical life. And are we saying yes? So you could bark out your no and be right. I mean, it's good that you're saying no to that, but are you saying your yes? The whole reason you're saying no is so that you preserve your yes for Jesus. Are you giving a vigorous yes to Jesus? And this is how the Christian lives. This is how the brave Christian lives. Holding the high ground during the day. When you start out strong, keep that momentum. And then heading into sleepy time like a soldier. 
So I have a little phrase for it, the night capital instead of the nightcap. Uh, you know, Winston Churchill used to have a nightcap that included some brandy and I think a cigar. Uh, and so we as Christians might want to go in a different direction. I'm just saying, okay? Uh, but we have the night capital. In other words, what we are recognizing is that we take the strength of that day, what we learn from that day, we meditate upon Christ as we enter into our night routine. As we enter into our sleep, we take it as an offensive maneuver. And if we handle our sleep well, it's almost like taking our talents of gold and our silver minas and investing them because they actually are going to create more strength for the next day. It's capital that we have. Most of us splurge and give away, in the wrong way we splurge, all of the goodness that God has done in our life, and we enter into sleep haphazardly without armor on. We do not enter it as if it matters to God and God has a plan during that night season, but it's like we enter it as if, well, it's my season and it doesn't matter what happens, I just need sleep. When in actuality, this is his zone, just like your day is his zone, so is the night. And so one of the mental pictures I've oftentimes used is walking into the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, sort of making my bed on it, and laying down and literally sleeping in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of God, under the shadow of the Almighty. Why wouldn't you? If you could sleep anywhere and God's like, yeah, you can sleep here. Sure, can I bring my pillow in? Sure, Absolutely. You see, to actually be in his presence and to actually say, God, you control my subconscious even as I sleep. Every dimension of my sleep, I give it to you. I want my life to be built both physically, because most of us think of sleep as being a physical, and but it's emotional, it's psychological, it's spiritual recovery. God wants to do something in that time. There's a reason why he gives his beloved sleep. He has an intention for it. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time, guys. We have a job to do on this earth, and why are we sleeping? But God actually wants to use this time so that we can spring out of bed and utilize the beginning of our next day to change the world. God is wanting to build a church that is strong in the hour of crumble and crisis and not one that is crumbling with it. We are not designed of the same stuff the world is. We're not made of sand. We're built on rock. And so when winds and rains, when pandemics and wars and rumors of wars and financial crises come and beat against our house, we don't fall. We don't crumble. So, you guys, did you see my other uh, side of this subtitle? The night capital are making hay while sawing, sawing logs. Isn't that great? Instead of making hay while the sun shines, it's like, no. We also can make hay while sawing logs. Isn't that great? Some of you don't appreciate Eric Ludy humor enough. I've had some good moments in this one. Even my Tom Newman sentence, that was fun. And you guys didn't appreciate it. Of course, I couldn't remember the final little uh, letters. That didn't help. All right, wonderful scriptures to help you get your brave on. Let's go through these. Now, I have a number at the bottom to help you know, so I'm not just reading and reading and reading. You're like, how long is this going to go? So this is for you, okay? One of five is this first one. All things are underneath the feet of my Redeemer, Ephesians 1.22. The Messiah has come and has crushed the head of the serpent and has declared it is finished, John 19.30. 
And if God is for me, who can stand against me? Romans 8.31. For greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. 1 John 4.4. 4. My spiritual weaponry is mighty the pulling down of enemy strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10.3-4. If I submit to God and resist the devil, the devil will flee. James 4.7. The shield of faith repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. Ephesians 6.16. He is my refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Psalm 46.1. For my God surrounds me with favors with a shield. Psalm 5.12. And though a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, it will not come near me. Psalm 91, 7. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Isaiah 54, 17. I have been given power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt me. Luke 10, 19. My enemies may har- intend to harm me, but God means all things for good that he may deliver many. Genesis 50, 20. No one who hopes in him will be ashamed. Psalm 34, 22. And he has said that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Hebrews 13, 5. No grave trouble will overtake me. Proverbs 12, 21. I I will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Psalm 118.17. I will have an abundance for every good work. 2 Corinthians 9.8. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84.11. He has said, I am strong and the word of God abides in me and I have overcome the wicked one. 1 John 2.14. He who spared not his own son, will he not freely give me all things? Romans 8.32. He who has begun a good work in me will bring it to completion. Philippians 1.6. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers me out of them all. Psalm 34, 19. I shall be like a stream of water whose waters fail not. Isaiah 58, 11. He, who, he knows the plans he has for me, plans to prosper and not harm. Jeremiah 29, 11. As I make the Lord my focus, I shall be like a tree planted by streams of water which brings forth its fruit in season. Its leaf also does not wither. Psalm 1, 3. And those who rise up against me will fall before me in judgment. Isaiah 54, 17. Whew. You see, if you were to wake up, imagine memorizing that list and just waking up and your wake-up routine is to spryly jump out of bed, thrust your fist up into the air and start declaring all that. You see, that's a perspective uh, that could be described as a pretty good armor for the soul. You see, a, a brave man or woman is one who is actually enveloped in truth. One whose mind is fixed on things above, not on things below. And so when you know that God is the victor, when you know that he turns all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, then you do not fear evil. You do not fear what the enemy is up to. Why? Because God's going to turn it for his ends no matter what. So I rejoice, not in what the enemy is doing, but the fact that God wins. God holds the trump card in every situation, every hand at every moment. If we're playing chess, he moves it into checkmate no matter what the enemy does. If we're playing some other game that involves a trump card, he holds that trump card and it's always the highest ace. At every moment, he has it and he can play it. Our job is to trust that. That's our job. We're believers. We believe what the Word of God says, but to actually function as believers in this world isn't to just give mental assent, like, yeah, 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 I believe that Scripture's true, but to live as if the Scripture's true. To do that, you need to actually activate these truths in your life. You have to invest your energy, your time, your mind into these. And so how you wake up in the morning matters. How you live throughout the day and how you handle the news around you matters. And how you go to bed at night matters. So if you take your job seriously as a Christian, I would say it needs to matter to you. Final thoughts. Here's, here's just my thought. I, I just think it's, it's, it's a fun thought. 
Our ancient enemy should be scrambling to pull together becoming brave classes for his demonic hordes when he beholds the crushing power of a Christian actually stepping into their authority in Christ Jesus. What I want is to spark a little fear in hell. The enemy's trying to spark a little fear in us. Why should we be the ones bullied by the defeated foe? Could you imagine the enemy, you know, as we start to get our game on? And the brave starts increasing in the church of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine the enemy? All the demons are coming in and going, I don't know that I can do this. I mean, they're beating me up. I mean, I have no power over them. I'm defeated by the cross. It's like, and the devil's like, hey, we need to get, let's get some classes together. You know, he, he's, he's scrambling to figure out how to encourage his demons because the church has its game on. Instead of us floundering, needing to hear about becoming brave, we're the ones that serve the triumphant King of Kings. Let's remember that. All things are beneath his feet. And that includes every single enemy faction, every single movement that is taking place out there. Nothing is greater than our God. Nothing can dethrone him from his position. Nothing can hinder him from fulfilling his great purpose. And in the end, last time I checked, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we as the saints of God believe you. We believe your word. We believe that your son is victorious. We believe that his work on that cross is sufficient to set us free and to enable us with all that we need for life and godliness to proclaim the glory of God in this generation and to stand brave, to stand courageous, to, pen, to stand strong, no matter the circumstances. Lord, <clears throat> here we are. We want to offer you our first fruits. We want to offer you the coal, the whole thing. We want to offer you our fatted calf and not our dead cow. Lord, we want to give you what you deserve, for you are worthy. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.